Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from both the reading in Acts and the reading in the book of Genesis uh, for this Pentecost Sunday. You may be seated. We begin today with a word of prayer. Almighty God, by your grace, you have gathered us here into your kingdom where we might receive the great benefits that your Son and our Lord has won for us on the cross. We pray this day, O Lord, that you would teach us what it means to live under the reign of Jesus. Help us to trust all of his promises. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Last week, we celebrated the festival of the Ascension. And the Ascension is that day, or at least that commemoration of the day, when Jesus ascended into heaven and sort of took his throne as a ruler over all of creation. As he tells his disciples at the end of the book of Matthew, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Christ has authority over everything. He rules and reigns over his creation with mercy and love. Now, the language that the New Testament uses to describe this reign of Christ is the phrase, the kingdom of God. You've heard that phrase before, the kingdom of God. It's probably better translated, the reign of God or the reign of Christ. But Christ reigns over all things. And this is a wonderful promise, and it's good news. Jesus has established his kingdom. Jesus is ruling and reigning. It is an accomplished fact. It is the reality where we find ourselves in now. And, and I want to emphasize that as we get into the sermon today, because I think there's a great deal of confusion about this language of the kingdom of God. If we don't understand that Christ is already reigning and he has already established his own kingdom, we can become very confused about the nature of this kingdom and really about the nature of our role in this kingdom. This was made apparent to me this last week when I received an email. As a pastor, I receive a lot of advertisements and a lot of emails, uh, all promising me that if I just spend, you know, like $3,000, they're going to give me the secret to growing my church and fixing the community and saving the world. And I'm like, that's pretty incredible. And the fact that you're charging $3,000 to do God's work is problem. Nonetheless, setting my cynicism aside, uh, I received this email, and here's what the email said. The, the title was this. You are building a kingdom. Now consider us, that is this company, a part of your construction. Now that, that language seems innocent enough. It's, it's you know, it's a, just an innocent marketing ploy, saying, listen, you guys have kingdom work to do. You're to be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. You're to be bringing people into the congregation to feed them with God's word. We want to help you out with this. I think that's what they intended to say. So their intentions are probably right. But the language they use is awfully dangerous. You are building a kingdom. Can you imagine how wonderful that would be? The kingdom of Bob? Oh, this is exciting. I'm building a kingdom. You are building a kingdom. Community Lutheran Church is building a kingdom. That's not true. <laughs> the kingdom is established. Christ sits on the throne. He's done all the work. As the church, we are not taking part in a building process. And in fact, I would suggest to you that one of the great and really humbling realities of Pentecost Sunday is that 
we have this truth that we are decidedly not called to build a kingdom. But in fact, when the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost Sunday, he comes with the express purpose of destroying the kingdoms that we have tried to build on our own. Pentecost, really, this Pentecost Sunday with the coming of the Holy Spirit and, and, and the, the speaking in the tongues and all of the things we see in this account really is an answer and a response and a correction to the building projects that we have established, begun all the way back in the book of Genesis. Pentecost is the offsetting of that great building project we call the Tower of Babel. So I want to do a little Bible study with you here this morning, and I want to go kind of deep into this whole idea of the Tower of Babel to see the problem when we arrive at this idea that it's up to us to build a kingdom of God here on earth. The account goes like this. You have all of these people building this tower, and we read it, and we're like, is it a sin to build a tower? Like, what is the problem here? But in order to understand Babel, you've got to go back just a little bit earlier in the text to the flood. Uh, the Tower of Babel account takes place after the flood of Noah. Now, God has flooded the earth, and then he saved Noah and his family uh, through the waters, and he brings them out of the boat then, and, and he says to them this, I promise you that I will never flood the earth again. And he establishes his promise, he secures his promise by attaching it to the rainbow. So that every time we see the rainbow, we are reminded of God's great promise. that He will never flood this earth again. But then he says this to Noah and his family. Now you've got a job to do in the new creation. You have a responsibility. You need to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. The same command given to Adam and Eve, given to, uh, to Noah and his family, to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, uh, to go throughout all creation, cultivate it, care for it, and love the creation that God has made. So this is the call and this is the work that is begun with Noah and his family. But a number of generations later, and I don't know how many that is, but a number of generations later, we find that sin is still festering. And sin is, sin is still working. And sin is still driving people to reject God's will. So that God says something like, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And this group gets together at this place we call the Tower of Babel, and they say this, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. God says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And they say, no, we don't want to be dispersed. We like this spot. We have a nice view here. We're staying put. We're not going to do what God tells us to do. We're not going to do this to the glory of God, but we're going to do it to establish our own name and our own fame, and we're going to become gods unto ourselves. They sought to establish their own kingdom. They entered into their own kingdom-building project so that they might make a name for themselves. And we know how the story goes. At this time, everybody was speaking the same language on the earth, so God sends confusion to them, gives them different languages, and despite their best efforts, continues to disperse them throughout the rest of the world. This is a problem. These people decided to establish their own kingdom. And what is the problem with that? Why is it so problematic for us to try and establish our own kingdom and our own name over and against God. Well, just think about how the kingdoms of this world are built. When you're building a kingdom in this world, what you need to do is make sure that you establish your power, and in order to do that, you need to take power away from everyone else by whatever means necessary. 
be it violence, be it oppression, be it slavery, uh, whatever you can do, be it war, you conquer them so that you can establish your kingdom and your authority for your own name. I would suggest to you that this mentality has seeped into a great deal of the way we conduct ourselves uh, in this world. That everybody is seeking to build, if not on a grand scale like this great kingdom of God, everybody at least is trying to establish their own personal utopia. And everybody's trying to establish their own life. And if anybody gets in their way and causes them problems that sort of upsets the way they want their world to work, what do they do? They get rid of them by any means necessary. They, I feel like I need to establish my own kingdom based on the color of my skin and my ethnicity. If someone else with a different color comes along, what do I do? I violently attack them. I riot against them. I shoot them in a grocery store. I do what I need to do to get them out of my way. If a child comes along that, that, that prevents me from having the ideal life that I've always wanted, I just end the life of the child in the wilderness. So that I can establish my own utopia and be in charge of my own life, and I can be my own God. And on and on and on and on the list goes. All this stuff we see taking place takes place because people are trying to establish their own kingdom. Now this becomes very dangerous when it gets into the political realm. And those people with the power come along and they say, we are going to establish God's kingdom on earth. After all, we are God's agents. And in the name of God, begin to spread uh, their particular ideology, their particular uh, views of the way the world should work. Why is that so problematic? Because when someone comes along and says, I don't agree with what you're doing, they can say, in the name of God, I'm going to conquer you. It's actually what we call the breaking of the second commandment, speaking where God hasn't spoken. So they take God's name in vain, apply it to themselves, and work against the will of God. We see this happening all the time. All the time. So that when the church comes along and says, is told something like this, you are building a kingdom. We need to recognize now that we're no longer speaking the language of Christ or the church, but now we are speaking the language of Babel. Building a kingdom and establishing worldly power and authority is not the work of the church. Now, before I move on from that, I, I do want to say something very quick, just so I can qualify my statement. I'm not saying that the powers and the authorities of this world are a bad thing. Of course they're not. They're a good thing. They're a necessary thing. God has established them to keep order in society. But they are not God. And they are not the ultimate thing. They exist to give glory to God and keep his creation in order, not to make a name for themselves, as we see with the Tower of Babel. Well, what we need to do then to understand the nature of this kingdom, we really want to understand the role of the church, too, in this kingdom, is we need to look to our king. We need to look to our Lord. For our Lord establishes his reign not by means of the way the world does things. We heard this in the reading from John today. I don't give to you, Jesus says, as the world gives to you. I'm an entirely different sort of Lord. Jesus comes along and he establishes reign, establishes his reign not with violence and war and oppression, but by suffering and dying on a cross. He doesn't crush his enemies. He forgives them with his own shed blood. It's the people who are crucifying him that Jesus, in a sense, conquers when he says, Father, forgive them. So Christ comes to establish his reign in a very different way. Not by crushing the enemy, but by turning the other cheek. In fact, the enemy that Jesus comes to crush is not any earthly power. 
Christ comes to conquer the spiritual realm. Satan, sin, death, hell. And when Christ dies on the cross, all of those things are defeated, ironically, surprisingly, through his death. And when he rises on the third day, the Father is pleased with the sacrifice and gives him the name that is above every name. And now all rule and authority fall under the feet of Christ Jesus. Now what's remarkable about this reign of Christ, who does in fact have all authority over heaven and earth, is the way in which he rules us. The way he establishes his rule among us, the way he spreads, you might say, his kingdom throughout the world, is he doesn't do it with laws and commands and uh, expectations. If you do this, then you're in. If you do that, then you're out. Rather, he does it with this word. And it's a royal decree that comes from the throne of the Lamb. Christ comes to us with his word that says, I forgive you for all of your sins. I have died and risen for you, so that you are forgiven. And it is this word of forgiveness that, in a sense, creates the kingdom of God, or probably better said, creates faith in our hearts so that we recognize we belong under the rule and reign of Christ Jesus. It's this word of forgiveness that is the language of the kingdom. So this language of forgiveness can be spoken in any language so that we know that whatever tongue we speak, the message of forgiveness dominates. You are forgiven, therefore you are a part of the kingdom of God. It is this word that has come even to you today to tell you the truth, that though you were born sinful and unclean, though you were born in rebel territory with rebel hearts, Christ chose to die for you and he rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into his kingdom where there is redemption and the forgiveness of your sins. As Martin Luther says so wonderfully in one place, what does it mean to have Jesus as Lord? Nothing more than to say that he is your redeemer. You are forgiven. and You are beloved by the Lord Jesus Christ. So that as we come to the day of Pentecost, what we see taking place so miraculously there is not just that the disciples spoke in this variety of tongues, but that they didn't have to build a kingdom. This kingdom came to them. They received it. They found themselves as members of the kingdom of God by the work of God. And then they were given the responsibility to go out and proclaim the good news that the kingdom already exists. And since Christ died for you and your sins are forgiven, you too, throughout the world, everybody, can be a part of this kingdom. For that atonement, that death of Jesus, is for everyone. Notice the language. It is not one of the disciples sat around and built this kingdom together, conspired how they might conquer the world. Rather, this is what happens on the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly... There came from heaven, they didn't build up to heaven, there came down from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they went out, and they began to preach. They didn't take up swords, they didn't start a political campaign, they went out and proclaimed the same message that you hear today. Jesus Christ has died and risen, and now reigns over you with forgiveness and mercy. You see, we have a king who reigns over us who is a redeemer, who loves us.
and rules and reigns for our sake. Not a kingdom that we are to build. That is not the way the reign of Christ works. We are not called to build a kingdom, but simply to receive a promise. That Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen one, reigns. He reigns over you. Forgive you for all of your sins. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would forgive us. We pray that you would forgive us for seeking to establish our own kingdoms apart from your Son and apart from his work. We pray this day, O oh Lord, that you would continue to teach us and cause us to repent, to turn to Jesus, to follow him faithfully, but ultimately and finally to trust his promise that our sins are forgiven. We have life in your name. In Jesus' name we pray.